there. Welcome to Shoot the Flick, an official Paradoja podcast. I'm Frankie Spa. And I'm Scott Eisenberg. And we are a married couple who like to shoot the shit about movies. That we do. That we do. And this week, <sighs> we get to be the first podcast ever. As far as we know. As far as we know. We couldn't find any on YouTube or Spotify to cover the gloriously bad sequel. Because it is sequel month, as you know, on Shoot the Flick. It is sequel month. The whole 10 yards, starring Bruce Willis and Matthew Perry again. If you are new to this show and haven't gone back through the ages of Shoot the Flick and listened to some of our old episodes, we reviewed the first movie, The Whole Nine Yards, and it drove me fucking insane. (laughs) Yeah. Frankie had a little bit of a meltdown. I really did. We had an issue. We actually listened to that episode last night in order to prepare for this and my god we sounded crazy (laughs) not only was our audio quality worse but our fucking insanity was very apparent (laughs) yeah exactly i watched both these movies a long time ago both of these movies i remember being better than they actually are the whole nine yards has a quirky kind of humor to it yes I feel like this one was lost. Like, they were like, oh, the whole nine yards made money, so let's make a sequel. That, I guess, is the curse of many sequels, especially ones that are made nowadays. But in regards to the original film, the whole nine yards, it was bad, but there was genuine humor in it sprinkled you know, you had to look for it. You you had to be like a little leprechaun searching for the little gold nuggets of genuine laughter. This movie is just awful. And it's, I don't mean just like, it's awful, like, oh, it's so bad. It is. But what I mean by awful is every single person, every character in this film is awful to the point where you don't, care or want to follow a story with anyone in this movie and it's so frustrating because you're stuck with them for an hour and a half (laughs) yeah at least in the first one matthew perry was he was chandler but you know what he was he was at peak quirk (laughs) yeah but you could accept the quirk here he's kind of just aloof he really has nothing to do this was filmed in like the last season of friends so this was very much at the end of matthew perry's peak in (laughs) pop culture let's put it that way he has moments in here where he's trying to be chandler-esque but really he's just kind of there and the whole movie is predicated on the fact that his pregnant wife has been kidnapped and he could not be acting more aloof i don't even understand the motivations of anyone in this film <laughs> so i was also trying to figure out what was the movie where bruce willis stopped giving a fuck oh yes we've talked about this multiple times and just to put it into context for Bruce Willis's career. The year after he did this movie, he was in Sin City, which I have never seen, but I hear it's good and he's good in it. Is he, that true? I don't know. He's good, but he's also very subdued, which might be funny because Sin City might be the turning point. Okay. We'll, we'll definitely have to do an episode on Sin City at some point, but th- <laughs> I found it funny because the year before this movie, he was in quite the the classic film. Uh, He had a little bit part in Rugrats Gone Wild, the crossover film between Rugrats and the Wild Thornberries. And he he voiced Spike the dog. Hey, hey, hey! Could you give a dog a little warning? I'm I'm trying to do my business here. Oh, that's right. Spike's talk. That's right. Right? When I read that on IMDb, I was like, oh my God, I forgot that was a thing that existed. And Bruce Willis voiced the dog. I need to bring this up. (laughs) And now I have and my life is complete. But I I think it's worth bringing up because it's emblematic of just the weird place he was in his career at that time. Scott thinks that Bruce Willis still cares. I don't think he gave a fuck about this. 
I think he recognized that the script was shit and he was just kind of throwing everything at the wall. I don't think he really cared. I think, yes, while he is throwing stuff at the wall, and I do agree with you there, there's a way he acts. Like, if you look at later movies like Surrogates... What the fuck is Surrogates? I've never even heard of that movie. That just tells me everything I need to know right there. Surrogates is a movie where it's kind of like Avatar, where Bruce Willis is an old man, but he becomes young Bruce Willis. So Benjamin Button? <laughs> well, no, he like it's it's a fake person that gets to walk around. It's young Bruce Willis walking around, but old Bruce Willis is in a chair. So Looper? <laughs> kind of, but like he just doesn't care. Like the last Die Hard, or even Die Hard Four, he's just like, yeah, no, I'm Bruce that's... Willis. Yeah. If you watch him here, he still brings an intensity to Jimmy the Tulip that has been gone for way too long. But the thing is, first of all, we've been talking for not even 10 minutes yet, and already I feel that we have given too much analysis (laughs) to the whole 10 yards slash the whole 9 yards, but I digress. In the whole 9 yards, Jimmy the Tulip Tedeschi, which is Bruce Willis's character, his whole shtick throughout the first movie is that he's this cool, badass hitman guy, but then randomly throughout the film, there will be bursts of crazy anger. And it's funny, kind of, in that movie, because I do think Bruce Willis in that is genuinely trying to create a character. I think in this, I assume he was just like, well, this guy's a crazy hitman. I'm just going to act crazy. <laughs> Every fucking second on screen. I feel like the director slash writer of this movie was like, oh, this is going to be a black comedy. It's going to be great. No, just because horrible things happen in a movie that you're also trying to make jokes in, that does not a black comedy make. (laughs) No, black comedy is supposed to be like you're supposed to laugh at the misery of these people. This is not that. No, I was literally, if the only times I was laughing, I was laughing at how fucking stupid this is. And it's similar in that way to Whole Nine Yards. The plot in this movie is convoluted as fuck. I kept having to ask Scott what the hell was happening. Yeah, because they like breeze past a bunch of moments that if you blink, you miss them. And you're like, what the fuck just happened? I actually got a decent idea for what this sequel should have been. Ooh, okay. We'll have to discuss that. The original film was directed by a Mr. Jonathan Lynn, and it was written by Mitchell Kapner. Now, I'm not saying either of these gentlemen are fucking geniuses no. behind the first film. However, the sequel, Whole Ten Yards, which came out four years after the original, it was directed by Howard Deutsch, who we've talked about before when we did our Pretty in Pink and our Replacements reviews, because he directed both of those as well. This guy's got a weird filmography. Oh, yeah. And it was also written by a Mr. George Gallo, who was the screenwriter for (laughs) a film that we actually mentioned in our whole Nine Yards review because Michael Clark Duncan was in it. We will discuss Michael Clark Duncan in this review, by the way, even though he's not in the movie. We're going to fucking talk about it. <laughs> but he was the screenwriter for C-Spot Run, which should let you know what we're doing here if you've ever seen C-Spot Run. If you haven't, God bless you. Go with Jesus. Now, <laughs> I just find it odd that the two people who had any shred of dignity as far as making the first movie remotely watchable were not involved in this at all. (laughs) So you had two other random ass people trying to pick up this property and make a new movie. And I I think it was all downhill from there. You know what I mean? Yeah, probably. There's only a few times where you replace the creative team behind the movie and that movie is either of quality or better. Fast and the Furious is one that comes to mind because when Lin came in, he uh, changed the whole series and it kind of got better instead of going where it was going. Right. I just, I say that, though, because the first movie made money, but it wasn't, like, a big hit or anything. So the director of the original movie and the writer of the original movie, you would assume would have some kind of connection to these characters and this property and would want to make it good because they, like, you know, care. (laughs) It's their baby. But you have just, like, two, and I'm not saying... Howard Deutsch and George Gallo didn't care at all, but I would pretty much bet dollars to donuts they cared significantly less than the first two guys. 
I don't know, man. It just feels like they watched the first movie and was like, oh, we just have to make Bruce Willis some violent psychopath and have Matthew Perry fall over on himself. And then that's the movie. <laughs> this would be probably a lot better of alcohol. Yeah, I, I think we said the same thing about the first movie as well. But before we get into the nitty gritty, we should mention how badly this movie was received. It had a budget of $40 million. The film made a pathetic $26 million against its $40 million budget. So that's pretty rough. And it has a Rotten Tomatoes critics score of 4%. (laughs) Just to put that into context, The Room released only a year before this movie, which is considered one of the worst movies ever made. That has a 24%. (laughs) And also, this is an award-winning film. It won a Stinker's Bad Movie Award in 2004 for Worst Sequel. And it was nominated with such gems as Scooby-Doo 2 Monsters Unleashed and Baby Geniuses 2. This is worse (laughs) than Baby Geniuses 2. Oh, boy. Yes, uh, even Baby Geniuses got a sequel. Can you believe that? Okay, so are we ready? Nitty gritty. Yes, let's let's fucking do this. Let's rip off this Band-Aid. We start in 1961, where Laszlo Gogolak... Played, played by Kevin Pollack. Yes, who is the mob boss that was the father of Kevin Pollack in the first one. So Kevin Pollack is now playing his father. It's all very confusing, and it's made worse by the fact that he's in terrible old man makeup, and he sounds like a combination of an old Italian stereotype, even though the character's supposed to be Hungarian, and Adam Sandler. Like, literally, I wasn't even looking at the screen, and I was writing something down, and then all of a sudden, I hear his fucking stupid-ass accent, and I look up, I'm like, is Adam Sandler in this movie? Hello. <laughs> And actually, the only other award that this movie was nominated for was in the Stinker's Bad Movie Awards for Worst Supporting Actor for Kevin Pollack. And he lost to Arnold Schwarzenegger in Around the World in 80 Days. Didn't know he was in that movie, did ya? (laughs) I've seen that movie and I'm trying to remember who he was in that movie. I don't know. Because I remember seeing that movie, too, when I was a kid, and I don't remember any of it. Well, Kevin Pollack runs this empire, and he has his two sons, Yimmy and Yanni, who are messing around. And he goes, come here, you'll be stronger together. He rips apart a dollar, gives half of it to Yimmy and half of it to Yanni. And that's all you need to know is that dollar is supposed to be important. It's not. But they play it up like it is. It's so stupid. It, it, it's so dumb. It doesn't care. come back till the very end of the movie. Kevin Pollack was in fucking Usual Suspects. He was in A Few Good Men. A, an amazing character actor. Great supporting actor in lots of movies. And this is this is what he's doing with his time. Yep. Okay. Just so, just wanted to establish that for everyone. So we cut... Forward to 2004 in Mexico. We're in Mexico, obviously, because we have Jimmy, played by Bruce Willis, and we have his wife, Jill, played by Amanda Pete, returning, and they're hiding out from the organized crime. Everyone thinks that Jimmy's dead, so obviously they have to be hiding out in Mexico. Exactly, and Amanda Pete has become a hit woman. She's coming back from a job that didn't go smoothly. Oh, yes. The whole joke with her in the movie is that she can't kill people right. Okay. (laughs) Let me explain this whole... So, Jimmy also is wearing a very bad wig. Yes. A very bad, long-haired, blonde wig. This whole opening scene with them just immediately establishes what kind of shit show we're getting ready to watch. Like, it's just so weird. Oh, my God. (laughs) Yeah, he's vacuuming. 
she's complaining that he is too much domesticated basically yeah, too- he's too much of a Susie homemaker he's cleaning all the time and he's tending to the chickens they have chickens for some reason he's named one of them blanche i don't know why this matters so amanda Pete talks about her hit and how everything was going right until she accidentally knocked over a plate of spaghetti and marinara sauce it's so slapsticky guys it's funny it's so funny so she tried to clean up the spaghetti and marinara sauce, but then the guy she was supposed to hit came in, he slipped and fell out the window, and she's upset because she didn't get to shoot him. Yeah, she still is kind of basically responsible for this man's death, but she can't take that as a win because she didn't personally shoot him in the face. That's that's our conflict with this character. And also, there's another conflict between Jimmy and Jill, and it's that they want to have a baby. These two fucking murderers who are hiding out from mafia people that if they knew that they were alive would want to kill them. These people want to have a child together, so much so that Jimmy has erected a baby mobile and a crib for this baby that does not yet exist. And the mobile is not of like cute little animals or like sun and clouds. No, 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 no. It's of (laughs) different famous hitmen like doll versions of them, including one Frankie Figs, who if you know of the first movie, was the character played by Michael Clark Duncan and the character that was ceremoniously murdered by Bruce Willis in the last movie. So this man has built a baby mobile for his future child covered with murderers, one of which he himself murdered. And we're supposed to root for these people to have a child together and bring an innocent baby into the world. This is how we start the movie. We're not even 10 minutes into the movie and already I want to die. (laughs) Oh, God. Yeah, it's great. No, it's not. (laughs) It's more great watching Frankie's reaction. Like, what are we doing? Because just to like put it into context in comparison with the first movie. In the first movie, within the first like 10 minutes, I got, I would say the biggest laugh I got in the movie in general. And if you know what I'm talking about, then you know what I'm about to reference. And if you don't, allow me to introduce it to you and enlighten you and expand your horizons with this little nugget of pure comedy okay so in the first movie it basically opens with jimmy moving next door to matthew perry's character who we'll get to in a minute they're talking to each other and somehow they get on the subject of burger condiments and i know what you're thinking frankie how can you get such a uh, enlightening bit of comedy from burger condiments. That's so, that's such a random thing. I know that's what makes it pure. Okay. Bruce Willis's character of Jimmy Tedeschi says to Matthew Perry, did they put mayonnaise on your burger? Why do they do that? And then it proceeds into the best comedic rant I've ever heard in my life. Every red-blooded American knows that the only condiment you are ever supposed to put on a hamburger is ketchup! Or maybe some of that special sauce you like so much here in Canada, which I think has a little bit of mayonnaise in it too, but I swear to God when they start slapping that mayonnaise on there, I could kill somebody. (laughs) So, yeah. Like, that's how we started the first movie, and this is how we start this movie. Do you see my problem now? No? Let's continue, and I will show you more. <laughs> so we cut to California, where Oz now lives in the mansion with Cynthia. She's a really cool dancer. That's uh, the only time we're doing that. Yeah, we did it a lot in the last review, and it was it was pretty annoying, to be fair. But I just, I was so emotionally and mentally distraught I had to do something 
<laughs> to keep my sanity. But Oz is played by Matthew Perry. And Cynthia is played once again by Natasha Henstridge. And they're married, loving life and everything. And Oz is a fucking fancy pants dentist. But he's also a paranoid lunatic. Yes. Well, that's the thing. His kind of shtick for the movie is that he's super duper paranoid because of everything that happened in the last movie. So he thinks that the mob is constantly going to try and come and get them. So he has cameras set up all over the house. He's got a fucking arsenal of guns and shit. And to show his paranoia, they get a knock on their door from a Girl Scout. And... It's so funny because Matthew Perry accosts this little 10-year-old child. While he's holding a pistol. Yes. And fun fact, the 10-year-old Buttercup Scout that shows up to their door is actually played by Tallulah Willis, Bruce Willis's daughter in real life. She was 10 years old at the time. And I just thought that that was really funny because in this scene, after Matthew Perry accosts this small child, this small child calls him a putz and a jack-off before... <laughs> closing the door which i love i just love that bruce willis's daughter was instructed by her father it's okay honey you can say putts and jack off for this movie that we're making that's gonna make me zero dollars and zero cents but yes oz is very paranoid almost to the point where he's like losing his marbles and just keep that in mind for later because it's gonna make what happens later in the movie like 10 times more horrible continue so we cut to Kevin Pollock's Laszlo getting out of prison. And Laszlo is picked up by his youngest son, Stravo. It's a running joke that Stravo's an idiot and Laszlo slaps him in the face. Oh, yes. His kind of slapsticky shtick in the movie is that he is constantly like faking out his son and his employees being like, oh, it's okay, I forgive you. You messed up. Oh, it's okay, I forgive you. Yes. And then as soon as they get close to him, he slaps them or kicks them in the balls. This happens like 50 fucking times. And it's supposed to be funny every time, but it's funny zero of the times. 0.0. .0. Not even a half chuckle. It's all fucking terrible. Oz is driving to work in his Porsche. And outside his dentist office is Laszlo... Stravo and the two goons who have no names, but they're idiots. And Stravo goes, okay, I'm going to go in and go just go get him. Oh, yeah. The, the best thing about this part is when, like, Kevin Pollock is sitting in the car talking to Stravo. And he makes a joke to Stravo. And Stravo doesn't get it. He then explains the joke and says, ah, it's funny. Yes, it's funny. Ah, ha, ha. And I'm like... That's the movie. <laughs> that's just the... We just need to show that scene. And the, that's the movie. The joke and then explaining we have the to, joke. We, we say a stupid joke that a two-year-old would fucking maybe chuckle at. Maybe. And then you explain the joke. And then you say it's funny. And then you move on. Hoping that there was laughter somewhere in there. And there was none. So Stravo goes to the dentist office. He's talking with... Oz and Oz places nitrous on Stravo's face. Oh my god, wait, that guy was Stravo? Yeah, that was Stravo. Okay, I literally didn't understand that that was him. Yeah, that was Stravo. Okay, I see, I don't know anything that's going on here. And Oz's new dental assistant comes in and she's like, Oh, your wife's on the phone. So Oz's like, Okay. He gets on the phone and his wife tells him she's pregnant. Yay! And Oz is extremely happy. He's like, okay, I'll, I'm coming to meet you, blah, blah, blah. But, but uh, while this is going on, Stravo is getting way too much nitrous. Yeah, he's to the point where he, like, stops breathing. Yeah, he passes the fuck out. But, okay. Oh, God. So, <laughs> this is the point in the movie where I was like, wait, we're supposed to root for him? Because in the first movie... All this crazy shit is going on around Oz, but you're really supposed to root for Oz because he's like the everyday guy. He's, you know, he's a little quirky and weird because, you know, Chandler Bing from Friends, but he's like the everyday guy that we're supposed to root for. In this movie, he is talking to his wife 
distracted with her telling him some admittedly great news but he's so distracted by that that he leaves his patient hooked up to nitrous to the point where he passes out and stops breathing you know he stops breathing because when oz comes back in the room and stumbles and fumbles to turn off the nitrous he like takes stravo's pulse and starts lightly beating on his chest like once or twice and then leaves the room and tells his assistant to call 911 yes he's like call 911 i have to go meet with my wife and have lunch okay bye and you're just like wait did he just kill a person (laughs) why would he just leave if the guy stopped breathing why would he leave what's happening is the guy dead in there (laughs) I was very confused and I'm like, wait, we're supposed to root for him. I'm so confused. (laughs) Yes. We're supposed to root for the guy who may have just murdered somebody. He didn't. Yes. I mean, Stravo's in the rest of the movie, so he didn't die there, but I was just very confused by the scene because it, it was playing it like it was supposed to be funny but the implications think of the implications scott oz would definitely lose his license yes and and you probably know, go to jail yes <laughs> go to prison for involuntary manslaughter had he been killed but you know it's funny because he lightly hit on the guy's chest and told his secretary to call 911 and that's funny Everyone is horrible in this movie. There's no one that you can even kind of hitch your star to, which is the problem, really, in the movie. Because even in black comedies where a lot of people are horrible, you at least have someone that you care enough about that you root for them. But you have none of that in this. None of it. Yeah, so Cynthia, after talking with Oz and saying that she's going to meet him for lunch, calls Jimmy and... There's kind of a scheme going, but they don't really say what's happening. Yeah, you get the hit, you get the gist that they're planning some kind of scheme, but also while they're planning the scheme, they are overtly obviously flirting with one another and just so you know, they used to be married. In the first movie they were ex-husband ex-wife. You both are married to other people. And she's pregnant, and you're trying to have a baby with Amanda Pete, and you're flirting with each other. What the fuck? <laughs> and you're, you're not only flirting with each other, you're lying to your significant others about some fucking scheme y'all are doing together. I'm like, there is no one in this movie. Who are you supposed to root for? Who? No one. Everyone sucks. Everyone is awful. And it just gets worse and worse. <laughs> now... I have to kill all of you. Ugh. Everything hurts. Oh, God. I'm enjoying this so much. Oh, God. Uh. I'm glad you enjoy my misery. <laughs> are you Are you getting back at me for High School Musical? Is that what this is? We cut to lunch with Oz and Cynthia. And Oz... I almost... I literally picked up the mic <laughs> and was going to say, she's a really cool dancer. <laughs> but I I abstained for you. Good. Thank you. You're welcome. And Oz is talking about building a moat around their house. Oh, yes. Because that's the thing. He's very protective, very paranoid. He wants to protect his family, which is, like, nice and all. But at, at this point, so many horrible things have happened in the first 20 minutes of this movie that I don't even care I don't care at all. But, you know, Matthew Perry trips over his own feet at the restaurant and it's funny. (laughs) It happens a couple times where like, oh, we don't know how to end the scene. We'll just have Matthew Perry kind of like flail around. Yeah. It's so obvious that they're trying to like squeeze dry the last bit of Chandler Bing that they possibly can out of Matthew Perry. You know what I mean? Exactly. So they go their separate ways. Matthew Perry went back to work and then comes home to find Laszlo playing the piano in his house, telling him that Cynthia has been kidnapped. Laszlo gives him the whole spiel about how he wants Jimmy and he knows Jimmy's still alive and Oz should take him to Jimmy or he's going to need to shoot Oz. 
He's stumbling and bumbling because that's his character. And he's like, oh, I didn't kill your son, Yanni. Jimmy Tedeschi did. Why are you after me? (laughs) Yeah, basically. He's a wacky, waving, inflatable, arm-flailing tube man. But he saves himself with clappers, which he claps on, and the lights go off, and people start shooting, and Oz gets the fuck out of there. Oh, yeah. Remember when uh, the clapper was a thing? Remember? It's so funny. It's it's so topical. <laughs> so, it's so not dated at all. <laughs> no, it's not at all. The only time the clapper has genuinely been funny in a movie is in Bruce Almighty when <laughs> fucking Morgan Freeman does the jingle. Clap on, clap off, clap on, clap off. The clapper. And yeah. he was playing God in that movie, okay? <laughs> he has a free pass. Oh, God. So we cut back to Laszlo's hideout where he has Cynthia. And the joke is his mother, who is in this movie, farts. Oh, yeah. She's a little old babushka lady. And fart joke equals funny. It is just like in Master of Disguise. Yeah, legit. The old lady is just saying old, typical old lady things like, oh, would you like some coffee? And then she lets out a fart. And it's hilarious, apparently. <laughs> yes. Yes, it is. It is completely hilarious. And he tells Cynthia that he knows that Jimmy's still alive because, let's face it, how did they identify Jimmy? Dental records. Your husband's a dentist. Which, okay, like, that's a fair assumption to make. But yeah, so Oz, meanwhile, is driving down to Mexico to get Jimmy and Jill to help. He calls their house at first, and he's like, hey... I'm I'm in the area and Jimmy's like if you fucking come to my house I'm going to kill you <laughs> and he's like great and hangs up the phone and he's like you didn't think to mention um my wife has been kidnapped your ex-wife remember her I need your help seeing as how I'm the one that helped you escape the mob and fake your own death maybe you know you can help a bitch out and I call him a bitch purposely because he is a bitch but no he just hangs up the phone and drives down to their house anyway Yep. And as he drives to their house, he runs over a chicken. Oh, yes. He runs over Blanche the chicken. And after Jimmy greets Oz with a hail of bullets at first and then comes out and greets him, he sees the dead chicken in the driveway and he emits the most guttural, disturbing cry I've ever heard since A Streetcar Named Desire. Hey, Stella! This is supposed to be funny because it's Bruce Willis crying like a little woman and Bruce Willis doesn't cry. He's he's John McClane. He's tough. But he's crying over a chicken. Right. Yeah. A chicken whom he named Blanche and he then talks to all his other chickens who he named Oddly enough, all older women names. Like, I felt like I was watching the Golden Girls for a second. I just, <laughs> I didn't know what was happening. Oz is telling Jill the situation. Meanwhile, Bruce Willis is off being weirdo Bruce Willis, like cooking dinner or something. I don't know what the fuck. I don't know what the fuck they did with his character. I feel like, literally, I feel like the director slash writer of this movie watched the last one and was like, oh, I get it. Bruce Willis's character is like, a, a cool guy who has like the occasional random bursts of anger and violence and that's funny but i found it interesting <laughs> how oz is telling jill the situation with cynthia how she's been kidnapped and everything and they're walking through the house and there's one point where they're walking through an open doorway and amanda Pete's shoulder hits the side of the doorway it looked like pretty hard actually and, and they just keep walking and talking. And I'm like, cut, go back, do it again. Because it looks like Amanda Peet just blew out her fucking shoulder <laughs> and didn't acknowledge it at all. It seems like I'm nitpicking. Maybe I am, but it just seemed like an obvious thing to fix. Obviously, this movie has about 50,000 other problems. So maybe I shouldn't be bitching yeah. about it. <laughs> so they sit down for dinner and Laszlo's goons show up and start shooting. They escape through a secret tunnel, they get away in Oz's Porsche, and they switch from the Porsche to a bus, and Oz complains about it the rest of the movie. Oh my god, it's so bizarre, 
because your pregnant wife has been kidnapped by mobsters you'd think that that would be your priority that would be your main concern but no he's bitching and moaning because they had to abandon his Porsche on the side of the road and blow out the tires and everything and go on this bus and then rent a new car and it's like he doesn't understand he's like why do we have to get rid of my Porsche and get this new fucking rented car doesn't make any sense really it doesn't make any sense I'm not a criminal but I can pretty much understand that cars have GPS and can be tracked so you need to switch it up to a piece of shit car to get off the grid I can understand that because I'm not a moron And also, who the fuck cares about your Porsche? Your pregnant wife has been kidnapped. (laughs) And she is messing with Stravo's head about, oh, your father thinks you're an idiot, but, you know, I always thought you were cute. And Stravo leaves, leaving Cynthia to peruse the apartment all by herself. This is where we establish that Cynthia is looking for something. At first, I thought, like, she was looking for an escape, maybe, But no, she's looking in a safe for something. So this has something to do with the scheme between her and Bruce Willis, I guess. It's not really made clear what a shock. One of the things that this movie and the last movie do have in common is that their plots are completely convoluted unnecessarily and don't really make a whole lot of sense. So yeah, Jimmy captures Stravo and now Stravo's a Uh, captive for the rest of the movie basically and jimmy jill oz and stravo go to this motel yeah they they start arguing about something and in the argument oz blurts out that jimmy is wearing a cross around his neck because you know he's all about the jesus okay (laughs) but he's wearing a cross around his neck that was given to him as a gift by Cynthia, who's his ex-wife. So Jill, his current wife, is a little upset by that. And the argument continues between him and Jill, and it gets so bad that Jill reaches over to pull the cross off of his neck, and Bruce Willis (laughs) takes a gun and holds it to his wife's head. Let me just say that again. She reaches over to take off a necklace off of his neck, And he pulls a gun on her and holds it at point-blank range to her head. Boy, that escalated quickly. I mean, that really got out of hand fast. And Jimmy says, if you take this necklace off me, because it's my good luck charm, you would pretty much be killing me. Is that what you want? And Jill responds, sometimes, yeah, that is what I want. And these two are trying to have a baby. And you, as the audience, are supposed to root for them and want them to have a baby. You're supposed to want them to bring a child, an innocent life, into their world. They both want to kill each other. But, you know, I'm sure this child will be totally safe and cared for and loved and not fucked up in the brain at all. So we cut to... Jimmy trying to apologize to Jill through the door, and Jill's not having any of it. And then it comes out that Jimmy is suffering from erectile dysfunction. Get yourself some Cialis, sweetie. <laughs> so they're arguing, and Jimmy decides, oh, fuck, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go get drunk, and he storms out of the room. And Oz goes after him and leaves Jill to watch Strava, who's tied to a chair. So... The next scene we cut to is Jimmy and Oz at a bar. Jimmy is getting progressively more and more drunk. And Jimmy is literally crying, saying that God is punishing him for being such a horrible person by giving him erectile dysfunction. And hes it's so funny because we had similar situations in our review for the first movie where... I was thinking things out loud and then like literally five minutes later, Jimmy Tedeschi was saying it and I was like, oh my God, it happened again in this movie because they're sitting in the bar bitching and moaning. Jimmy is like complaining about his limp dick and (laughs) I said, oh, it's just God's way of making sure you don't procreate and literally (laughs) 
the next second, Jimmy goes, God is punishing me. He wants to make sure I can't spread my seed. And I was like, yes, absolutely. And he's like, for killing 21 people. And Oz goes, 22. He goes, who, who did I forget? You always forget Frankie Figs. And you shouldn't because Michael Clark Duncan was one of the best elements of that movie. So fuck you. <laughs> so as they're sitting in the bar, they made this tower of shot glasses. Still not mentioning the fact, you know, Oz's wife is still kidnapped. Is there no sense of urgency here? <laughs> well, for Jimmy, he because he even blurts it out at some point in his drunken stupor. And, oh, Cynthia will be fine. It's basically part of the plan. But Jimmy gets upset that he wants the tower of shot glasses gone. What is this thing? That's what we've been building for the last few hours. Get it out of here! Why? Because I hate it. <laughs> and he decides he's going to run headfirst and try and tackle the tower of shot glasses. And he does. This was a, 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 f- a funny moment, not necessarily haha funny, but just kind of like, what the holy hell am I looking at funny? Because Jimmy, while sobbing drunkenly, backs up away from the table, trudges his feet on the floor like a bull, and go like runs head first into the shot glasses and you see the impact of a big shiny bald head and these shot glasses and it's just like oh god what the fuck (laughs) it's very visceral like you just hear the crash and you see his shiny ass head and you're like ow ow also during this drunken state jimmy has been basically stating that he will be a good father and then like in one of the preceding scenes like maybe 10 minutes after that he's sitting in a diner and there's this asshole guy in the booth next to them having a meal with his son and he's berating a waitress yeah he's he's being an asshole and jimmy's like hey why don't you leave her alone like she's just doing her job and the guy's like well, why don't you mind your own fucking business asshole so jimmy proceeds <laughs> to take the guy's head and smash it multiple times into the table until he loses consciousness in front of his son. So I just kind of found that hilarious, again, not in a ha-ha way, but that he would make a case for himself that he thinks he would be a good father before immediately traumatizing a small child. (laughs) Well, he says in his warped psyche that he has now taught the child never to be rude to a waitress. See, that's this whole movie is just so fucked up in so many ways. Like, I can't even... I feel like the movie is trying to tell us, like, oh, yeah, Jimmy would be a good father. He may be a little wacky, but he'd be a good dad. But meanwhile, he just says horrible thing after horrible thing. And it's not even, like, horrible, like, funny horrible. It's genuinely horrible. Like, in no, in no way would this be funny to anyone. <laughs> oh, but we get to one of the most unfunny things right after that night of drunkenness. We wake up the next morning to Jimmy and Oz in bed together naked. Yeah, because gay jokes are funny. They make gay jokes. They take, they make a joke that maybe, you know, you don't know, but maybe Bruce Willis put his dick in Matthew Perry's butt. We don't know. We don't know. And we're never going to know. We don't know. It's so funny. Gay. It's just like, oh God. It's like every bottom of the barrel joke we can make, we're making in this movie. Pretty much. Then we cut to a little later on in the day where Amanda Pete tries to fake seduce Oz. Oh yes, because she wants to make Jimmy jealous. So she like pulls him into the bathroom and starts taking her clothes off. And I'm just like, so this is your idea of a of a good plan because Oz's pregnant wife has been kidnapped and they're trying to get her back and Jill thinks, "Oh, this is a great time." to try and seduce Oz and get him to fuck me. <laughs> like, it doesn't make any sense. Amanda Pete in this moment, though, is doing, like, the most ridiculous things. She takes off her clothes and starts, like... Uh, like Shimmying? Yeah. 
I don't even know how to describe it. It's very odd. She like purses her lips and is like flailing about trying to be sexy, I guess. Scott and I are sitting here looking at the screen in confusion saying, what are you doing? Matthew Perry proceeds to say, what are you doing? (laughs) And we start laughing because it's just like the movie is talking, saying what we're thinking. It's like, it's, it's a bizarre experience. It's almost like you're in the trenches together with the movie itself. It's like, you don't understand what's going on around you. It's just complete madness and chaos. But then you're in it with the movie. And the movie is telling you, I'm here with you, man. I understand. None of this makes sense. But we're here together. We're going to get through this. So Jimmy walks in on this random bullshit and takes Oz and throws him against the wall, knocks out Oz. And then he goes and has raucous sex with Jill. I don't know. Yeah. I I don't know, man. Nothing has been resolved here, like, with your relationship. Like, he still is wearing the cross given to him by his ex-wife. He still, like, calls her his wife, by the way, in the bar scene. He calls Cynthia his wife. And Matthew Perry's like, oh, she's my wife. And it's like, so nothing has really been resolved here. No. Uh, They're just fucking, and it's it's, it's good, fine. I guess. It's fine. it's fine. Yep. So they agree. Everything's that- fine. Nothing is horrible. Everything is good. <laughs> they decide they're going to make a deal for Cynthia. Finally, we're back on the plot. And quote unquote plot. They need guns. Who has guns? Oz has guns. Uh, Meanwhile, they leave Stravo tied to a chair in the kitchen i'm not a fucking genius but i would think that if i have someone kidnapped and i'm not like on top of them watching them every second i would want to put them somewhere where i know that they're not going to be able to get to anything sharp like you know a kitchen knife or be be, be close to any other thing that could potentially help get this person loose from their binds like you know a set of stairs because Stravo, he proceeds to grab a kitchen knife at one point and try to untie his binds, which he doesn't. He cuts himself. Yeah, he doesn't get that uh, done. But then he proceeds to shimmy towards a set of stairs leading to the basement where he throws himself in the chair, down the stairs, breaks the chair and gets loose. Now, if I were a kidnapper... I would think the smart thing to do, if I'm not going to be on top of my kidnappee, I would put him or her in a closet or something where he can't get anywhere. But no, the movie has to happen, so Stravo has to be somewhere where he could get out. Exactly. So Stravo gets out, grabs the keys from the table, and he's going to try and, I guess, drive away, but then Jimmy almost catches him, so he dives into the trunk and locks himself in the trunk. While this is going on, Laszlo calls Jimmy and goes, okay, let me speak to my son. And Strava goes, I'm in the trunk. And they're like, oh, shit, we have to get him out of the trunk. And (laughs) while this is all going on, Laszlo's like, let me speak to my son. And finally Oz gets on the phone and goes, your son's in the trunk. He goes, why did you put my son in the trunk? He goes, we didn't. He locked himself in the trunk. And this is actually the one funny line I feel like in the entire movie. Okay, yeah, I'll I'll agree with you there. Laszlo takes the phone off his ear, sighs, goes, "This I believe." And now Laszlo has hired a hitman who starts shooting at Jimmy, Jill, and Oz. The hitman is shooting at the car, shooting at Jimmy, Jill, and Oz. They're missing entirely. They drive back to the motel. Jimmy finds the button, clicks it, opens the trunk. The hitman accidentally shot Stravo, and Stravo died from being shot in the foot. Yeah, and what's weird about that is Matthew Perry even says, like, wait, it looks like he's been shot in the foot. Who dies from being shot in the foot? And then, but no one responds to that. They just leave that out there in the universe, and you're like, dumb ways to die. So many dumb ways to die. It's stupid. And then, on top of that, Jimmy is just incessantly yelling at Jill, blaming her 
And it's like, why are you blaming her? He's like, oh, you should have been watching him. It's like, well, maybe you should have been watching him. What the fuck were you doing? <laughs> why is it just Jill? And she's like, okay, well, fuck you. I'm going to leave. And he's like, great. Bye. Like, see ya. Toodaloo. And she's like, I mean it. If, you, if I leave right now, you're never going to see me again. And Jimmy goes, great. Be careful pulling out. And it's just like, what the fuck? <laughs> What is this move? What is, you're supposed to root for these two in a relationship? Like, what is going on? Like, he's such a fucking prick. And then Jill leaves. He starts fucking going off on Oz. Oz is like, okay, well, what are we going to do now? We got to get Cynthia back. And he's like, well, Cynthia's as good as dead now because Stravo's dead. And I'm like, what the fuck? What is your problem? And then fucking Oz turns to Jimmy and he's like, I thought we were friends. And I, while watching this movie, screamed, why would you think that? After everything that has happened, why would you think that he's actually your friend? Like, he's been a dickhole this whole fucking movie to you. At least in the first movie, he's a dickhole, but he's nice to Oz. So that makes sense. But in this movie, he's a dickhole to everyone. So Jimmy and Oz fucking argue and then Oz leaves and Jimmy's by himself. And he realizes Jill took his bag. Yes, that's that's how the scene ends. He realizes Jill took his took his bag. and He's like, oh, shit. So Jimmy calls Jill and Jill goes, would we be talking if I didn't take the wrong bag? And he's like, no, but babe, I was just, I was, I just started that argument to push you away, to protect you. I don't want you to get involved in this. And it's just like, wait a minute. He just says that so casually. And it's like, are we supposed to believe that? Like what? <laughs> it's so stupid. How far does this go back? He goes, uh, months and months. So she's like, you've been talking to Cynthia behind my back for months and you you came up with some scheme with her and now you're going to tell me, get your wife, your actual fucking wife in on the plan that you had with your ex-wife. How nice of you. You better fucking tell me what's going on and then maybe I'll help you. So then we cut to Oz driving up to his dentist's office and he kind of barges in he's he's talking to his secretary julie and she's like what's wrong with you you smell like shit what happened to you and he's like i'll tell you what that smell is it's me i smell and you know why because i've been wearing this suit for three days i smell like ass or uh or a foot or some kind of foot that's been lodged up deep, deep, deep inside an ass. Call the FBI. Oh, yeah. And he tells her, just call the FBI. Tell them I need to speak with them. Da, 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 da. And then as soon as he says that, Jimmy comes in and he's like, yeah, you probably shouldn't do that. And he, I guess, is turning on the niceness now and trying to get Oz back in his good graces. He's like, you know, I'm good at the kick-ass stuff. But you're you're the guy that's good at keeping the people you love. I'm not good at any of that. And Oz said a line that I just couldn't believe. I was like dumbfounded. I'm like, is this what we're supposed to feel as the audience? He says, one minute I want to kill you. The next I feel sorry for you. And I'm like, oh, honey, that's just you, Oz. Like, no one else feels that. I, I know, like, in the realm of screenwriting, Oz is supposed to be us. But honey, no. <laughs> Fuck to the no. So they they make up. They're like, okay, let's go get Cynthia. Jimmy turns around and gets a fucking chloroform rag to the face. Now, I will give the movie credit for this. This was the only time that I was genuinely surprised. I was like, oh, fuck. The secretary, Julie, fucking knocks out Jimmy and then holds a gun on Oz. And in that moment, I'm like, oh, shit. Oz is really bad at picking dental assistants. This is bad. And she proceeds to tell Oz that she she's here for revenge. Now, revenge for what, you might ask? I'll fucking tell you. Because this is the only time in the movie that I was genuinely excited and happy. This is the glimmer of hope in a cacophony of darkness that's right i just pulled out cacophony of darkness i'm trademarking that statement anyway julie proceeds to tell oz that 
Her real name is Jules. Jules Figueroa. And Oz is giving it a good think-think. He's like, why do I know that name? Oh, fuck. You mean like Frankie Figs? And I was like, oh, my God. (laughs) Julie reveals herself to be Frankie Figs' sister getting revenge for her brother's death. And I'm like, for the love of God, yes. (laughs) Okay, so now uh, this is where I think the story should have been. You don't bring back Kevin Pollock because that doesn't make any fucking logical sense. You have Jimmy and Jill and Cynthia and Oz all kind of retire and move somewhere together. We go to Jules Figueroa, who is now on a hunt to try and kill these four. We don't know a lot about Julie Figueroa, but from what we do know, she's the only like actually cool character in the movie. Kind of similarly to Frankie Figs, who was Michael Clark Duncan in the first movie. Like if you think about it, she at least for a year was Oz's dental assistant basically working undercover to try and get close to Oz so she could find out where Jimmy was and then she could get revenge on them them, for killing her brother. She went through all this bullshit to get revenge for her brother's death. Like, that's a cool fucking... And she's, like, a strong-ass black woman. We love that. She's a cool character. And the fact that she's related to Frankie Figs automatically makes her cool also. So it's just, like... You had this cool-ass character that you could have had developed throughout the whole movie and be, like, a cool villain, badass bitch character. But instead, no. Instead, we have Hungarian-slash-Italian-slash-Adam Sandler-esque Kevin Pollock in shitty 99-cent store Party City old man makeup. And that's that's the villain. And it's like, no, stop it. Honestly, if you wanted to bring back somebody as hypothetically... Jules is big bad like or you could have fucking brought Frankie Figs back that's what I was just about to say have him he survived yeah because he got shot and he fell in the water so you could have had him like survive that they do it on soap operas all the fucking time people get shot and they fall in the water and you can't find the body Ooh. and then they come back like a year later as like I was hiding out waiting to take my revenge I was recovering from all the right. shots like you could have very easily done that it would have fit perfectly in this fucking piece of shit movie and it would have been fine we all would have been happy because Michael Clark Duncan would have been back oh god so she knocks out Oz and Cynthia wakes up Oz and Jimmy, who are all now in Laszlo's hideout. Basically, they're trying to convince Laszlo not to kill them because then he'll never see Stravo because he doesn't know Stravo's dead. Yes, and this is where we get the reveal to Oz that Cynthia was kidnapped basically on purpose so she could get into Laszlo's hideout to try and find something. We still don't know what the something is, but Oz looks at Cynthia and is like, You done fucked up now! You just found out you're pregnant and this is what you're doing? (laughs) He says to her, we took a vow and I think one of those vows was you don't go on a fucking crime spree with your ex-husband while you're married to me, bitch, and you don't fucking tell me about it. Like, what the fuck? And like, after that moment, it's really not greatly addressed again like if i were oz i would be like furious at this woman like what the fuck is wrong with you are you stupid but no he like forgives her immediately and it's like okay whatever i don't even care anymore (laughs) so jill shows up with stravo in the car wired up to be like fake and taped to the chair and she's trying to cut a deal to cut in on the money because she has jimmy's half of the dollar yeah, the whole dollar thing did not register to me. Like, well, I, it didn't make sense to me. You see at one point that in Jimmy's bag is one half of the dollar from the beginning of the movie. But I was like, oh, okay, why does he have that? Is that Yanni's dollar? Like, he stole it from Yanni in the first movie, and it's not... I don't know. It, nothing, that did not make sense at all. It was our bad MacGuffin. But, yeah, so she has Jimmy's half of the dollar... And she's going to shoot Jimmy to prove that she's on the up and up. Jimmy's yelling at her like, you can't, you couldn't shoot anybody. She shoots. Oh my God. And he falls to the ground and you're like, oh my God, Jimmy's dead. I really believe that. 
I really do. Oh my god. What a travesty. Uh, what a tragedy. I'm so sad. And Laszlo's turning on Jill and sends his two bumbling idiots to go get Stravo. Turns out she wired the car to explode. Car explodes, killing them. They take away the guns from Laszlo and Jules. Yeah, and then they immediately kill Jules, which is fucking bullshit. They just shoot her, and I'm like... Well, Laszlo shoots her because turns out she actually killed Stravo because she was the hitman. Oh, yeah, she was the hitman from earlier, and she shot Stravo in the foot. But th- the point is, they fucking kill Jules immediately, which I thought was bullshit because, again, the only fucking cool character, and... She dies unceremoniously, much like Frankie Figs. And I'm like, you guys don't get it, do you? You have actual cool characters and you kill them. And then you have shit characters and you keep them around just unnecessarily. Why does Laszlo live? I don't care about him. Laszlo only lives because it turns out Jimmy is his son. (gasps) Yeah, they do that. They try to do a twist here. They do the twist and then... They forget about it immediately and don't talk about it ever again. They play it like it's this big reveal that Jimmy was one of the kids in the beginning of the movie that got the half dollar. That's why it was actually one. Jimmy was Yimmy. (laughs) In that twist, we also reveal, mind you, that Jimmy killed his own brother in the first movie. Yep. And this is a man that we want to root for to have children. Well, and bring children into the world. I keep bringing that up. I know it's probably really annoying, but like, I'm I just don't understand that. <sighs> anyway, and then Matthew Perry, of course, because he's the audience character, he comes out with the uh, the banger of the line. I have never been more confused in my whole life, and I just scream at the TV at this point because I'm so frustrated. I'm like, me too, bitch. Me too. I don't know what the fuck is happening. I don't care. Please end this misery. <laughs> yeah, so they leave after shooting Laszlo in the foot so Laszlo can get arrested by the cops. And it turns out that the $2 when put together reveal a code that opens a bank account in the Cayman Islands worth $280 million. Jill is pregnant. Everything is happy. They drive off. Of course, by the end of the movie, Jill's going to be pregnant because that's what we've been leading up to this whole time. So Jill reveals that she's pregnant and we're supposed to be happy. Okay. And I know Scott explained the purpose of the half dollar thing very quickly. And he did that, I would say, because the movie explains it very, very quickly to the point where it doesn't make any sense. But I feel like they explain it really fast. So maybe the audience won't realize that it doesn't make any sense. But I digress. Who fucking cares? The movie's over and we get our ending credits over... Uh, another gem of comedic gold we go back to the little old lady from earlier remember her yeah and she's she's farting some more and that's we end on the fart joke and we're supposed to leave with a good taste in our mouth after that so yeah that is the whole 10 yards this movie is just so a nonsensical and b unentertaining at least the first movie was nonsensical and entertaining i remembered the first one pretty like favorably this one i didn't remember anything from it this is a great little lesson in the difference between so bad it's good movies and so bad it's bad movies because the first movie the whole nine yards i classified as a so bad it's good movie because i left that movie saying you know it was crazy and it was bad but I would watch that again because I had a lot of fun laughing at the movie but both at the jokes and just at the ridiculousness of it all this movie I would classify as a so bad it's bad there's nothing genuinely entertaining to hang your hat on in this again, like I would never watch this again yeah I'm you pro- couldn't fucking pay me enough money to watch that again Yeah, it's not good. It's just kind of all over the place. Yeah, and like many sequels, since this is sequel month, this movie is not as good as the original. If I were to make a suggestion to anyone listening to this, if they were interested at all in this property to 
witness the madness for yourself i would say watch the first one because you will get so bad it's good vibes from that and then if you don't really feel like watching the second one that's okay it doesn't even feel like it's a sequel to the first movie like the character names are the same but it just doesn't feel like a continuation of these characters you know at all yeah basically it just kind of feels like it just feels like it's there in shitting on this movie as much as we are i feel like we're giving probably too much credit to the first one (laughs) like that it's actually good it's not but it's better than this you know what I mean? Definitely. But that's kind of what happens sometimes when you get a shitty sequel. Sometimes the original... Looks like fucking gold. gold. Yeah. So, Scott, what do you have this rated? Uh, <laughs> I have I have it at one out of five. Yeah, I also... I have it as a one out of five as well. Th- this is just awful, guys. It's really awful. But I guess, you know, for sequel month, it makes sense. Because we went from last week watching chamber of secrets which is a good sequel to now watching this movie so you you can't win them all kids (laughs) so next week we're gonna move on to another sequel that i'm going to be showing scott Uh, a sequel in a franchise that is pretty well known at this point but this particular movie i think is going to be a vast improvement on the whole 10 yards so stay tuned for that And until then, this has been Shoot the Flick, an official Paradoja podcast. I'm Frankie Sparks. I'm Scott Figueroa. Mm, No. Make sure you check us out on Instagram and Twitter at Shoot the Flick. And check out our weekly episodes every single Wednesday on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and iHeartRadio. Pretty much anywhere else you can find a podcast. And make sure you come back next week for our fabulous, freakerific movie adventure.